Well, it is good to be um, back at Central Christian College. I had to break out my blue and gold chucks for the weekend uh, to be able to uh, fit in. Um, we had just some of the best times of our lives here at Central. Eleven years, as Pastor Zach mentioned, uh, my family and I served here. Um, our children, it feels like we're literally raised on this campus. Um, we taught them um, how to use the restroom properly on this campus. Our children, for some strange reason, peed everywhere on this campus when they were little. That wooden tiger, do you guys still have that wooden carved tiger? It used to be out in front of Stoll Hall. I think when I left, it was in the library. Yeah, they peed on that too. Um, They were just everywhere, and we just had such a great time um, serving uh, the students here at Central Christian College. And um, but, uh, you know, about five years ago, God called us back to my home state of Illinois. We live just across the river from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I get to go to every home game of the Cardinals for free if I want to because I'm a pastor there. Any, any Cardinals fans? Two? Oh, my goodness. Well, this is, chapel's going to suck. Uh, Dodgers. Oh, okay. Yeah, some fans of some second-rate teams. That's good. All right, yeah. Okay. Um. So I'm excited to be able to be here and to be able to just lead you guys in um, a a passage of Scripture this morning. But before I do that, let me just tell you, um, put you in a little bit of context. So um, in John chapter 13, Jesus is uh, with a group of his his buddies. Uh, They call them disciples. They're really just friends. Uh, They're the most important people in his life. In fact, he's abandoned lots of his life to be able to invest and pour into and care for these 12, these 12 guys. And they're all, um, they're all sitting down. They've had a meal together. And they're just, um, they're dudes. They're, they're, they're lounging against each other. They're throwing things at each other. They're laughing. They're talking. They're, they're just doing some really, um, you know, kind of chill things together, having fun. And then Jesus' voice sort of breaks through the, the noise. And... Um, he announces that he's dying. Uh, and it's quiet all of a sudden. And um, nobody really knows what to think. Nobody really knows what to make of all of it. Uh, and, and it's not just that he announces that he's, he's, he's dying and um, he begins to explain to them some of the details of all of it. And it's, I mean, it's awkward silence. Because in the midst of all that, some of his closest, closest friends he's, that he's got, particularly a guy named Peter, he, he announces to Peter, listen, you're supposed to be my guy, and you're going to, you're going to deny that you even knew me. And he, he announces all this stuff, and that, that they're going to, you know, these guys that are supposed to be his is ride or die? Is that uh, what the kids say now? Um, tough guys. We'll do anything for you, Jesus. And and he says, "You guys are gonna, you guys are gonna run. You're gonna scatter. We know where to be found." And it's the the kind of awkward tension and uncomfortableness that any of us might have experienced if you've ever had a situation where. Maybe the family got together and they sat around a table and finally a, a parent or a grandparent or somebody that you love or are close to announces that, that maybe they have cancer or 
mom and dad are going to split up. Just silent, awkward, heavy. And then in uh, John chapter 14, Jesus sort of breaks through this awkward silence. They've not even gotten up from the table yet. They're still, they're sitting at the dinner table still, and they haven't even gotten up yet. And he, he tries to give them these words of encouragement, and it's those words of encouragement that I actually want to focus on today because um, here's, what I, here's what I think that I know, that uh, I can say that. Probably most of us in this room have had some experiences or are dealing with some experiences, some heavy stuff in our own lives that that we need some encouragement for. We don't we don't know what to we don't know what to do about it. We don't know what to think about it. And we're in this space in our heads and in our hearts where we're living in that awkward silence of John chapter 13 where we just don't know that we can move forward. We just don't know what's next. And in John chapter 14, I'm going to read it for you. I think it's going to be on the screen. Jesus says these words, and these words are important, and they're important to us today, not just important for them back then, but they're important for us today. Because in the midst of this heartache, in the midst of this challenge, against, in the midst of this awkward and tense and silence that is really a reflection of incredible despair, Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I I would have told you, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will I'll come back and I'll take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. And Thomas, who's always the most practical, um, they call him Doubting Thomas. I I think Thomas is practical. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How could we know the way? We don't even know where it is. And this is what Jesus' words are. So profound, so important, and so incredibly offensive. I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Let me tell you why this is so offensive. Particularly to a group of of Hebrew people. The Hebrew people took God so seriously that they wouldn't even say his name. Yahweh. They wouldn't say his name for fear that, that they would maybe they would say it wrong or or, or that they would they would they would bring about some type of, of, of anger from God. They were so fearful of being able to say the name Yahweh. And in fact, a little bit later it was replaced by the name Elohim and Adonai because the name of God was so sacred. 
it was so powerful. It was so holy that they wouldn't even utter his name. They were afraid. Now, what is a nice little Jewish boy like Jesus doing, not just announcing the name, but saying, I am God? It's offensive. It's appalling. It's, it's unheard of. It's one thing for Jesus to announce that he's the Messiah. There had been scads of people that had announced that they were the Messiah before him and after him. There had been scads of people that had introduced themselves and said they were the Messiah. But he's not just saying that he is the Messiah. He is saying that he and the Father are one. It's absurd. It's dangerous. But yet here we have Jesus saying, I am Yahweh. You see, no other, no other group, no other culture in a polytheistic world, a polytheistic world means that they believed in lots and lots of different gods. There was no other group of people, no other religious group that held their God to as high a standard as the Hebrew people did. All of the other gods, they kind of, you know, they were easy to make fun of. They made mistakes. They were laughable. You've seen the movies, Thor. You get that. But the Hebrew people, held their God to the highest standard. How could a mere mortal like Jesus convince thousands of people, Hebrew people, who were afraid to even utter the name Yahweh, how could he convince them to follow him unless it was true? They were even afraid to say his name. And yet Jesus convinced them that he was worth following, that he was God, that he was also transcendent and holy. Jesus makes, listen, Jesus makes the most inclusive and the most exclusive statement in all of religion. Let me tell you something. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to have to learn how to live with some tensions in your life. You're going to have to learn to live with some things that seem to be a paradox, two things that are equally true in the same set of hands, and it's going to be hard sometimes. And one of those things that you're going to have to wrestle with and own if you're going to be a follower of Jesus is incredibly inclusive. But he's also radically exclusive. And both things are true. Jesus makes the most inclusive, inclusive and exclusive statement in all of religion. And if you're going to follow Jesus, one thing you're going to have to learn, one thing you're going to have to know is that you can't put him in a box. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus may not be who you think he is. And Jesus makes us, he makes us make an extreme decision. Timothy Keller writes, when Jesus announces that he is the way, Jesus is saying, you must either love me or kill me. But how dare you like me? Reservations. Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus demands extremity. This is an extreme statement. You know, something around 75% of U.S. college students, they, they like Jesus. 
but with reservations. What I mean by that? I like what I see out of Jesus with regards to how he treats the poor. But I don't care what he has to say about divorce. I like what Jesus has to say about how I should treat the marginalized and the oppressed, but I don't, I don't care for what he has to say about money. That's a personal matter. I like the idea of thinking about a Jesus whose grace is big enough to cover all my mistakes, but I don't like what Jesus has to say about sex and marriage. I like what Jesus has to say about love, but I don't like that the idea that I need to become one of his followers. That seems too narrow. It seems too exclusive. Jesus is saying, how dare you just like me with reservations? You see, Jesus is pushing us to the extremes. You are, you are either going to reject me because what I'm saying is the worst thing ever, or you're going to embrace me because it's the best thing ever. But you can't simply like me. You can't simply like me. You're either all in or you're all out. Do you see how this is the most inclusive and the most exclusive at the same time? Jesus isn't, isn't pointing to the way. Just like Jesus doesn't point to wisdom, he doesn't point to grace, he doesn't point to the church. He's saying, I am wisdom. I am grace. I am the church, I am the way. And he pushes us to the extremes. You can't just like Jesus, be, be skeptical of his wisdom. You can't just like Jesus, be, be skeptical of his teachings. That's not to suggest that, that what, you, what you should do is just not think, to disengage your brain somehow, but you can't just like Jesus and have reservations about the truth of his claims just because they make you feel uncomfortable. Simply because you wish they were different. He's either the truth or he's a liar. Let me tell you why these statements are important. They're important because Jesus Christ is declaring himself as the way. And in, and in declaring himself as the way, listen, this is so important. Don't overlook this. We, we, we read some of us, we read these scriptures, I am the way, I am the truth, and life. We, we don't know what it means. When Jesus is saying, I am the way, what he's promising to you, what he's promising to me, what he's promising to those guys who are in that room grieving because of John chapter 13 because he said that they're going to basically fail in front of the whole world, what he's saying is because I am the way, you can have intimacy with God. That's unheard of for a group of people that were afraid to even save the name of God, Yahweh, because he is so perfect, so holy, so powerful, so right that you and I can have a relationship with Jesus we can have a relationship with God. He's not just pointing to the way. He says, I am the way. And because I am the way, you can know God. And it's not just intellectual assent. That's not what it means to know. 
It's not just intellectual ascent. It's not just facts and figures. It's not just knowing the answers to the pop quiz. It's, it, what, it, what it means is to have an intimate heart knowledge of Jesus. And because he is the way, you can have a relationship with him. No one comes to the Father except through me, but you can get to the Father. It's unheard of. It's unprecedented. And what he invites us to is to be able to, the word is to abide. It means to be ever present. It it means, listen, college students, it means that Jesus will never leave you. He will never walk away from you. He will never forsake you. My question is then, why do you walk away from him? You can have intimacy with God to be to be in his presence because of the power of the Holy Spirit to dwell with him. You see, what we want to, what we want to do is we want to change, and, and, and it's not just college students, it's, it's everybody. I don't know why we do this. Denominations have done this for years, particularly on the legalistic front. We want to change Jesus We want to change God from a father to a boss or to a principal rather than a father. When we lived here in Kansas, we lived on Bishop Street, which is like about three blocks this way. Um, We worked at Central, so we were poor um, and had uh, just just, uh, one vehicle um, and... uh, so what I, we often did is um, we walked a lot from our house on Bishop Street over to the Mac Free. We called it the Fremo back then, but um, the Mac Free Church, and we would walk there. Um, and I've got my three kids here. They're 14 and 12 and 10 right now. And, and so when they were little, we would load up uh, the two older ones or two younger ones in the, in the wagon, and, and my son Sawyer would either ride his bike or we'd walk. And and we're on our way. And I, I, I didn't mention this before, but I'm not an animal person. I don't care for animals. Um, and, uh, and so we're on our way. We're walking. And this huge, huge dog, I mean, the biggest dog I've ever seen in my entire life, with fangs. I'm sure they were dripping with blood. Um, and uh, this dog comes out of nowhere, and he comes racing towards us, and he's baring his teeth, and he's barking, you know, madly. And I, I don't like dogs to begin with. And, and the first thing, without any, without any hesitation, without any thought, without any, any apprehension whatsoever, I immediately put my kids in front of me. No, I immediately grab my kids and I, I put them behind me and I step down in front of this dog and I, you know, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm making those noises. Um, and, and I'm staring this dog. My, my grandfather, who's, who has since passed away, um, told me one time that if you stare a dog right in the eyes and don't break contact, that they'll eventually turn tail and run. And so I'm, I'm, I'm eye to eye with this, this dog. And, and listen, 
A boss, a principal, doesn't throw his body in front of his kids, or in front of, in front of his co-workers. A father does that. I don't know what you might be going through. When, when the word of God talks about Jesus leading us like a shepherd, the shepherd walks in front of the sheep, which means any danger, any hardship, any challenges has to go through the shepherd first. He doesn't want to be your boss. He doesn't want to be a principal. He doesn't want to be relegated to rules and regulations. Jesus is not about following a policies and procedures manual. Jesus wants to be a father. He wants to stand in front of you. And he wants to lead you. And he wants to love you. And he wants to be your father. He wants to jump between you and harm's way because he loves you. I am the way, and through me you can know love and tenderness and compassion and grace, and you only receive those things through a father, not a boss, not a principal. I'm spitting a lot. Sorry about that. He suffers. Not so he can be a father. He suffers because he is the truth. He suffers because he is the Father. Jesus doesn't merely point to the way. He is the way. And he also doesn't point to the truth because he is the truth. In John chapter 1, Jesus is described as the word, the logos. The word logos is, one of the meanings of the word logos is the meaning of life. Jesus is what you were built for. Every culture, every generation thinks that it has its own logos, has its own meaning, or its own reason for why they exist. Jesus says, I am the reason for your life. I am your very meaning for existence. And some of us don't believe in a thing like truth. We can define our own truth. I'm not going to get into that. But Jesus says, if you want to know the truth, if you want to know your purpose, if you want to know the meaning for why you exist, you've got to come to me. You understand who you are. You understand your identity. You understand your purpose and your reason for life through me. And that doesn't mean that the rest of life is meaningless. The rest of life is unimportant. But you will forever search for your meaning and your purpose in other things. And those other things will let you down. And you know what? You'll let it down. Because Jesus is your truth. He is your reason for living. And if you want to make Jesus into a boss, if you want to make Jesus into a principal, and following him into simple rules and regulations, policies and procedures, you know what's going to happen to you? It will crush you. It will wreck you. It will destroy you. It will oppress you. It will enslave you because you could never do it on your own, which is why Jesus says you don't have to do it on your own. Let me change you 
Let me transform you because I'm not just the way. I'm not just the truth. I am the life, the life that you've always longed for, the life that you've always wanted for, the life that you've always sought after, the life that keeps you at this point in time maybe keeping you underneath the the oppression and the weight of your lack of ability to measure up. It's, It's because I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Jesus wants to regenerate your very soul. Here's the beautiful thing. The beautiful thing about Jesus. This is why he's the most inclusive. Even the weakest can come in. Even the most hopeless, the most marginalized, the most oppressed, the most sinful, the most lost, the sickest, the hurting, the dying. It's the most inclusive because it allows the weakest to come. Here's the thing, and I'll say this in closing, and then we'll pray. If you think that you're fit for the kingdom just because you're good, you're missing the point. The only thing that makes you, thing that makes me fit for the kingdom is when I realize I'm not fit for the kingdom. If I were fit for the kingdom, I wouldn't need Jesus. And I need Jesus. I mean, I know what you're thinking right now. This guy has it all together. Is that funny to you? I need Jesus. I need Jesus. I'm not fit for the kingdom. Apart from him. But the difference, perhaps, between you and me is that I have chosen to put all of everything that I am into this Jesus. I've realized I'm not fit for the kingdom, and I've refused, and it's taken a lot of work, I've refused to make Jesus into a boss. I've made him my father. My Lord, he's my Savior. God, help me. I'm not going to let go. Maybe today you're feeling like, I don't need this Jesus stuff. Maybe today you're feeling like you're part of the weakest. I want you to know as we, we pray and as we begin to close, And whatever you're going through, whatever your experiences are in this life, however hard they might be, however great, however good you think you might be, however bad you might think you might be, 
The beauty of the gospel is in its inclusiveness. You can all get in. You can all come to Jesus. As, as, as broken and difficult as you may feel your life might be, it's the most inclusive thing. It's also exclusive. Because there's no way to get to the Father except through Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we long to know the truth. We seek it out. We struggle to, to find it. We ask questions about it. We, Some of us even pray. We maybe even late at night when no one's listening and no one's noticing that we're we're talking to you and we recognize that we are in need of something. Maybe we can't even put our finger on it. And you call to us somehow. You, the word says during those moments of calling, you're knocking on our heart's door. Would you help us to not try to build you up into something that you're not? but to let you be who you are, Father, who loves us. In a world of fathers that maybe aren't um, worth mentioning, you long to be the kind of father who is compassionate, kind, and loving, but also the kind of father that changes us, that transforms us, that regenerates our very soul. Help us, Father, to accept who you are as we accept who we are and move forward in grace knowing that you are the shepherd who leads us. Pray these things in Christ. I bless you guys. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of speaking.